Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will go up into the Salt and Light attic and bring down some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2014. First, Jesuit brother Guy Consolmagno tells us about the work of the Vatican Observatory, and we catch up with singer-songwriter Janelle. In our second half hour, we learn all about Catholic publishing with Jerry Gallopo of World Library Publications. And then we meet singer-songwriter Luke Spihar. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook and Twitter. We now begin with the Vatican Observatory. Now, earlier this year, Pope Francis made an unusual comment during a morning homily at Casa Santa Marta. He said, imagine if a Martian showed up, all big ears and big nose, and he asked to be baptized. How would you react? It's a funny scenario and a funny question, but apparently not the first time that this question has been asked. Brother Guy Consolmagno and Father Paul Mueller at the Vatican Observatory get these types of questions all the time, and thus the title of their latest book, Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial? and other questions from the astronomer's inbox at the Vatican Observatory. And to tell us more, and I guess to answer that question, I am now joined by Vatican astronomer, Brother Guy Consolmagno. Brother Guy, so good to talk to you again. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me here. So first of all, I should say congratulations on, on, on winning the Carl Sagan Medal. Um, what, maybe for people who don't know what that is, what would the significance be of you, a religious brother, winning this prestigious science award? Well, of course, Carl Sagan was famous in the 80s for a television program called Cosmos. But even more than that, he did a lot to publicize planetary science. He appeared on television. He wrote popular books. He was a great champion of science. But he's, as often happens with popularizers, he often championed science as opposed to religion. So the idea that a Jesuit brother would get the Sagan Award for popularizing science, I think, shows that science is not something opposed to religion, but that the two not only live in harmony, but complement each other. Yes. Uh, and I think he would have appreciated that himself. Yes. And I think for a lot of people, maybe it, it might be a little bit of a surprise, as is the fact that the Vatican has an observatory. So what is the role of the Vatican Observatory? Well, the first role is to surprise people. <laughs> the idea that uh, science and religion are opposed is actually a relatively modern idea. People think it goes back to Galileo or the Middle Ages or something, but no, it, it actually doesn't. All through the 1700s and 1800s, most scientists were either clergymen or noblemen, because after all, who else had the free time and the income to go right, out right. and the education? But at the end of the 19th century, for a lot of political reasons, People tried to paint the Church as an enemy of science, and that's why in 1891, Pope Leo XIII established a national observatory for the Vatican mm-hmm. to show that the Church actually supported science, right. and that's what we've been doing ever since. So, but why specifically an observatory? Why astronomers, as opposed to a science institute or a pontifical institute for sciences? I think one of the big motivations was simply that at the end of the 19th century, one of the great astronomers of the age was a Jesuit priest, an Italian priest named Angelo Secchi, okay. who invented, among other things, uh, spectroscopy and how you classify stars by their spectra. Uh-huh. And so he was living off the reputation of Father Secchi. But also, astronomy is a great topic to, first of all, apologize for Galileo, <laughs> but also 
to uh, to look at the heavens and recognize that it's awe-inspiring. Looking at the stars reminds you that there's more to life than what's for lunch. So looking at the stars, looking at the universe also informs us about God. It really does, because um, what do we know about the stars? What do we know about the universe? First of all, that it makes sense. It didn't have to make sense, but it mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. What happens in the world is not the action of random nature gods. You know, it's not Zeus throwing lightning bolts. Yes. Rather, it's a god who creates laws. And the final thing that you can never forget is it's beautiful. Right. This is an act of love. Right, of course. And and so, so science is about laws. Religion is also about... I mean, the, the universe is about laws, and, and religion yeah. shows that as well. So... So there's the extraterrestrial question. Um, I, I suppose that, and I want to ask you how you would answer that question, um, but the, the intersection of science and religion, and I think that this is an interesting one because so nobody knows whether there's life in the universe other than on Earth. We can speculate. Science is helping us uh, figure that out. I, I suppose that's what the Rosetta probe is trying to figure out today, and I want to ask you about that also later. So how would you answer the question about baptizing an extraterrestrial? Well, the short answer is, of course, only if she asks. <laughs> yes. And that points out that the question won't come up until there's someone who can communicate to us about it. Right. The question really is not about extraterrestrials. It's about us. Mm-hmm. How do we understand baptism? Um, if we claim to be humans, humans as opposed to what? What is it that makes us human? What is it that gives us a soul that's in God's image and likeness? Mm-hmm. You know, does it depend on how many tentacles you have? And that's why asking this kind of hypothetical question is great fun. Yeah. And it's not a question with a solid answer, yes or no. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And right. that's a lovely place to be because it means we've got something exciting to learn. Right. Um, so the, in the book, Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial, you, you basically uh, explore a few questions that are questions that you guys get asked all the time. So what are some other questions that, that you address in the book? Well, one of them, of course, which comes up this time of year, is the Star of Bethlehem. Uh-huh. And just as with all the other questions, we try to dig underneath. We, you know, no matter how many times you say, well, it was this conjunction or it was that uh, helical rising of planets or whatever, people keep asking the question. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you realize that's not really the question that's bothering them. What they want to know is, can we trust the Bible? Right. Does God act in miraculous ways? How does God act in the universe? Mm-hmm. And again, there aren't any short answers, but once you recognize that those are the questions, those are questions worth living with and wondering. Right. Um, Science is sometimes, you think of science as solving mysteries, Mm -hmm. but you only solve a mystery by uncovering three new mysteries. Right. Mysteries are things that we live with and contemplate. When Mary is contemplating these things in her heart, she's not trying to solve the mystery to make it go away. She's Mm -hmm. trying to come more familiar with it, more intimately with it. And the Incarnation is one of those mysteries Mm -hmm. that we'll never come to grips with, and there's never going to be a short answer to. Right. And I guess that's, again, to to reiterate the fact that that's why we need to do science. Um, You're an expert in meteorites, so that's why you're interested, of course, on the Rosetta probe that landed on the meteorite, and maybe you can can, uh, tell us why um, the Church would be interested in something like that, but I also want to know, why does the Vatican own a meteorite collection? 
Well, the, the short answer is, of course, somebody donated it. <laughs> okay. Uh, in fact, his widow donated it. I think she wanted them out of the house. But uh, the, the Marquis de Mouan, about 100 years ago, was one of the great 19th century collectors. Yeah. And his widow donated the collection in the 1930s. We've been using it to study the physical properties of the things that make up the planets. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was growing up in one of these uh, tract developments, so you could see all the new houses being built, you could go into the junkyard in the back of the house. Yeah. You could do a scrap heap and see what was in the house. Yeah. The meteorites are the scrap heap of the, uh, of the planets. Uh-huh. And by seeing what are in the meteorites, we can learn what's inside the planets. Right. Now, Rosetta has just landed on a comet. Yes. And this is really exciting because it's a frozen scrap heap. It looks like even more than the asteroids, it's been untouched since four and a half billion years ago when the planets were formed. Right. So to be able to see that close up and to see how it's physically put together, that's going to tell us about how the planets themselves are put together. Right, of course. So would the Church, specifically through the Vatican Observatory, be following closely the Rosetta probe? Absolutely. Uh, the, the particular work that uh, I'm doing is in densities of materials, so connecting that to the physical structure of Rosetta is important. Mm-hmm. There's another fellow in our group, uh, Jean-Baptiste Kikwaya, who did his doctoral work in Canada at uh, Western Ontario. Yeah. And he is, of course... The people in, in London, Ontario, are among the world's experts in meteors. Well, meteors come from comets. Right. To be able to connect up the dust that sh- become shooting stars in our sky uh-huh. with the dust that you find in these comets. Right. To, you know, to be able to make those connections allows us to put together different pieces of knowledge that suddenly become a bigger picture. Right. It's like gathering the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, and suddenly you get an insight when they're all put together. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, I don't want to let you go before uh, asking you, or without asking you, because the Pope also recently made a comment about the Big Bang Theory, another area that I think people are confused about. So what would the Church say about the Big Bang? Well, you got to remember, evolution was based on Gregor Mendel's genetics. Gregor Mendel was a monk. Uh The Big Bang Theory is based on the uh, mathematical work of a a Belgian, Georges Lemaitre, Georges Lemaitre was a Catholic priest. Yes. These theories are the best descriptions we have in 2014 to describe how life developed and changed, to describe how the universe developed and changed from the beginning. Mm -hmm. None of them are final answers. You know, a thousand years from now, we'll have new theories. Right. These are not things that you can base your religion on. Yes. But these are things that we can embrace as believers because... It's not enough to say God made it. We want to know, how did God make it? Right. Because by seeing how God makes the universe, you get closer to God's personality, you get a little more familiar with the Creator himself. Mm-hmm. And what better reason to do science is that? Amen. Thank you very much for that. And thank you so much for spending time with us today and for writing the book and for the work that you do. Um, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. Well, I'm really glad to be able to join you. I spoke with Brother Guy Consolmagno earlier this week. Brother Guy is a Jesuit brother and an astronomer working at the Vatican Observatory. He is the co-author of Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial and Other Questions from the Astronomer's Inbox at the Vatican Observatory, published by Image. You can learn more about the work at the Vatican Observatory at their website, vaticanobservatory.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Janelle, with Amazing, from her album, Living for Something. The morning cold in 
That was Janelle with Amazing from her album, Living for Something. Way back in January 2009, our very first featured artist on our first program was a young and talented singer-songwriter from Alberta by the name of Janelle. Now, I had met Janelle about seven years before when we were planning World Youth Day 2002. Janelle was chosen to sing the French version of our World Youth Day 2002 theme song, Lumière du Monde. So hers is a voice that many of you have heard. Since then, Janelle has released three albums, has appeared in numerous radio and TV magazine and newspaper interviews, and has received several music industry awards, including Best New Artist, Contemporary Album of the Year, and Female Singer of the Year. She has also received two Juno nominations, which are the equivalent of the American Grammy Awards. She has toured extensively across Canada, the United States, New Zealand, and parts of Europe. Last year, Janelle and her husband Jason partnered with two other couples to start a ministry event called Festival of Praise. And also, I have to mention that about three weeks ago, Janelle and Jason welcomed their fifth child, Jonathan, to their family and to tell us about that and everything else. I'm now joined by Janelle. Janelle, welcome to the Sultan Light Hour. Welcome again to the Sultan Light Hour. Yes, thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. It's just a pleasure to be back. So congratulations on the birth of Jonathan. <laughs> yes, we are just smitten with him, and everybody's adjusting well, so it's been a very smooth transition, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> yeah, so Jonathan is your fifth. You have Eric, who is 11, 12. How old is Eric? Yeah, now? he just turned 12, and then uh, we have Monique, Monique, who's seven, and Joshua, who's almost six, uh-huh. and then um, Michael, Michael, who's two, and then baby Jonathan. Jonathan. So it's a full house. It is. So... Uh, <laughs> I've read, and I mean, I know this because I know you, but so your your singing career, your music career, recording, obviously slowed down a little bit. You're focusing on family. Um, being a mother and a wife is very important for you. That's right. I mean, this is a different season of my life, but yes. because music has always been a big part of my life, even since I was a little girl, of course, I could never let that go because it's just part of who I am. And so um, my husband, Jason, and I have decided to just kind of bring the music industry, um, you know, feeds home a little bit more. And so we decided to start this ministry called Festival of Praise just yeah. uh, so that it happens once a month in our parish. And then mm-hmm. that way we don't have to travel so much. And I see. The tour bus and, you know, all the, ni- the whole I nine see. yards. So um, it's just been a really beautiful experience because, um, you know, for so long, for 10 years we toured, and so we weren't really part of a... Um, you know, a faith community in a local area because we would just attend Mass in right. whatever city we were in. And uh, so it's been a beautiful experience to really plug in and get mm-hmm. to know people on a real personal level and also train some leaders and train some people that have a heart for ministry. Um, right. Because for so long, people invested in us and gave us a lot of tips along the way. And so now we get to kind of do the same for others. And uh, and it's been really rewarding and, and just a great a great experience. Yeah, I, and I do want to know more about Festival of Praise, but um, I want to go back to what you said about touring. I, I remember, in fact, just before we called you, I was speaking with our, our, our sound engineer here, Javier, who he remembers, he's like, Janelle, we filmed her in concert in <laughs> Toronto, I don't know, six years ago, and she brought her whole family. And I remembered, I think Eric was a little boy, and he was playing playing the drums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you did that for a long, that must have been very difficult, but again, it was also a season. That's right. I mean, um, you know, God gives us the grace that we need for whatever he's calling us to. And so um, Eric toured with us from the time he was born, probably till the time he was about six, 
six or seven, and mm-hmm. we actually toured with Monique and with Joshua. Yeah. Um, but then right after Joshua, I actually um, went through a really difficult time just health-wise. I got um, mono and a thyroid oh, dysfunction wow. and uh-huh. postpartum depression all at once. And so wow. for two years, it was kind of dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. and spiritually and as well as my body kind of just said, uh, I think you're on overload. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. And I certainly am not a superhero, I realized, <laughs> and so I needed to just really scale back. And so, um, you know, that was a very challenging time for mm-hmm. us and our family, um, but at the same time, it was a very beautiful experience, and I truly believe that it was um, God preparing the fertile soil for um, the Festival of Praise, with, Praise, which is now kind of like the second chapter of of uh, our ministry, I think, in, in, in yeah. what we're doing right now. So, 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 so tell us, so what is FOP, FOP, Festival yeah. of Praise? Um, we we uh, affectionately call it the FOP, and uh, so FOP obviously stands for Festival of Praise, and we're calling it a revolution. Yeah. Um, basically, what happened was, um, about 10 years ago, when we were touring, mm-hmm. um, we stopped in Steubenville, Ohio, yeah. and visited some friends there prior to me speaking at one of their conferences, and um, they took us to this event. They said, oh, there's this great event. You guys got to come. It's called a, f- called a Festival of Praise. And so I was like, what the heck is this Festival of Praise? And they're like, well, you know, you come and experience it. So Jason and I went, and it was basically just a, um, a wonderful evening. Um, all the university students were in the gym, and um, the lights were dim, and there was a praise and worship band on, a, on the stage in front of us. And um, we had a wonderful time of, of praise music, and then things got kind of quiet, and the music kind of turned more worshipful. Mm-hmm. And then um, it got real dark, and all of a sudden everybody got all got on their knees, kind of all at once. And I was wondering, you know, I wonder, you know, what's going on. And all of a sudden, out of the back of my um, kind of behind me, I could yeah. tell there was something going on. And I, when I turned, what it was was there was this main spotlight coming from the back. And it was illuminating on a procession. Mm-hmm. And what it was was the procession of the Blessed Sacrament. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, a priest and, and uh, some others we know were following, and the Blessed Sacrament came. And when it passed by me, um, as I was kneeling and just really kind of overwhelmed with emotion, because it was just such a powerful moment, in my heart of hearts, I just heard God say, one day I want you to start this in Lloydminster. Hmm. And that was such a a powerful moment for me that I just started weeping and it was so interesting because that night I wrote it in my journal and you know at the time I was basically living out of my tour bus we were touring all over the states um, we were living in Radway not even in Lloydminster at all although my husband is originally from Lloydminster Alberta mm-hmm. and um, you know Lloydminster wasn't even on my radar as far as a place that we would even ever live and so you know fast forward 10 years um, we've been in Lloydminster now for seven years and, uh, you know, God would call us to start this ministry in Lloydminster, just like he had spoken to my heart mm-hmm. so long ago. Um, and yet this was the timing for it. So, so interesting. Um, yeah. When we first uh, had the idea of starting the Festival of Praise in Lloyd, um, you know, kind of concretely, because, of course, I had been thinking about it for quite a few years and praying on it, um, it was such a neat experience because our Archdiocese of Edmonton had just completed a five-year Nothing More Beautiful evangelization yes. initiative. Yes. And um, I had the um, 
beautiful opportunity to be able to part, be part of the Archdiocesan mm-hmm. Pastoral Committee where we were able to hash out a lot of these themes and, yes. and really live a lot of what um, Nothing More Beautiful was trying to accomplish in the parishes. And, and so it was just a very natural progression of the end, that at the end of Nothing More Beautiful, um, you know, this kind of new initiative would be born. And so basically what it is is um, a night of uh, we start. Of course, there's my band is playing, yeah. and so we we animate it with with uh, praise music at the beginning, lots of high energy stuff, and then um, we have like a big screen with all the lyrics up on it, and um, and then what we do is we have a speaker that speaks for 20 minutes on a particular topic, mm-hmm. and then after that we have. Um, we have Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, and it's done to music. And then we have uh, what we call our interactive prayer activity, um, where I lead an activity uh, where we ask people to come forward and to respond to Christ. Um, and so, and they're always very creative. Uh, one, one time we had, um, it was all on getting rid of our baggage. And so the speaker had spoken on getting rid of our baggage, and we had a little video clip on, mm-hmm. you know, the baggage of life and, and to leave it at the foot of the cross and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then people, we gave, passed out, um, after the Blessed Sacrament had been exposed, we passed out um, papers and pens, and um, as everybody was kind of kneeling and adoring, we, we um, invited them to speak with Christ about a particular type of trauma or baggage that they had been carrying that they wanted to submit to Christ. And so they wrote it on a piece of paper, and then we had big pieces of luggage at the front of the altar, and they, everybody came forward hmm. and uh, put their pieces of paper in the luggage, and then we had somebody, um, you know, dressed like Jesus come forward and take all the baggage away, and then right. we burnt them out in the parking lot. Yeah. And so, and you know, in this time where Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity is just beautiful because they're able to, um, you know, just be with Him, and, and He can speak to their hearts through the music and just in the times of quiet and silence, and then, of course, have a concrete response mm-hmm. with our interactive prayer activity at the end. So um, people have just been flocking to these events. They were getting people from all over the place, you know, coming out to Lloydminster, um, and it's just been a beautiful community-building event, and one that has really been a faith builder for, yeah. for so many. What a great idea. Janelle, we have to leave it there because we're out of time, but um, I hope that this has been inspiring for our listeners. Maybe they can start one or a similar event in their own parishes. I'm sure mm-hmm. they can contact you for, for ideas. Um, uh, and you can get all that information at fopfoprevolution.com. Um, Janelle, thank you very much. Congratulations again on the birth of Jonathan and, and hello to Jason. You can learn more about Janelle at her website, janelle.cc. And as I said, learn more about Festival of Praise at foprevolution.com. Here now is Janelle with Here I Am from her album, What I Gotta Say.
We're listening to Janelle with Here I Am from her album, What I Gotta Say. If you're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour, I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Most of us are not thinking about Catholic publishing. If we like to read, we buy books at the bookstore. If we want to nourish our faith or read something specific about Catholicism, we may look for it online or we may go to the local Catholic bookstore. We also sing songs at Mass, but most of us are not thinking about everything that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that these books and songs get published. Now, one of the largest Catholic publishers in the world is the Chicago-based J.S. Pollock Company, and their music and liturgical division is World Library Publications. The chief publishing officer is Jerry Gallopo, who is also an accomplished liturgist, author, and composer in his own right. And so I'm very happy to be joined now by Jerry Gallopo. Jerry, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. So, J.S. Pollock... Tell us, tell us a, a little bit of the history of, of, the, of the company. Well, J.S. Pollock was founded by the Pollock family in 1913, so we've been serving the church for over 100 years. Basically, it, it began as a, a, a small press uh, that, uh, that was printing uh, newsletters and things like that mm-hmm. for, uh, for parishes as, as the needs grew. We have the original printing press actually here in our plant in Chicago. Really? It's very interesting to see that. But over the years, uh, certainly expanded and developed into the largest uh, Catholic bulletin publishing company uh, really? in the United States and has a, a couple of divisions, that, uh, that, including World Library Publications, which is the music and liturgy division of J.S. Pollock. So let me, let me go back then. So the largest bulletin, pu- so uh, at Sunday we get the bulletin that's got all the announcements. You publish that for parishes all across the United States. Yes, about 3,500 parishes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and 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 coordinating all the individual local advertisers because some because they have local advertisers. Yes, it's the the revenue from the advertising uh, that actually is what keeps the company going, and we do uh, revenue sharing with the parishes. Uh-huh. Uh, when the, when those ad pages in the back fill up, we are part of our contract with parishes that is that we share that revenue with them. So it's a win win for everyone. So okay, so but you also publish books. Right. World Library Publications is really the, the, the publishing arm of the J.S. Pollock Company. So here at World Library, our mission is to serve the needs of the singing, praying, and initiating church. So uh-huh. it's music, prayer and art resources, and resources for the RCIA. Okay, so it's not Catholic novels. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing against Catholic novels. So, so resources for RCIA, for example, for yes. catechesis, catechetical, or or prayer. Yeah, yeah, most mostly directed to the to the liturgical aspect of the RCIA, and we're one of the three large music publishers, Catholic music publishers in the United States as well. Right. So, so, and the music is specifically liturgical music, or you because you also publish other artists who are composing. Right. Specifically. Music for the liturgy, or music for prayer gatherings, music for uh, young adult or youth nights. Um, you know, not not every piece that we publish is uh, designed to be sung at the liturgy, but right. for the most part, uh, 
that's what kind of our focus is for the for the singing church and the praying church. Okay, so just to make sure I have it right, so J.S. Pollock is the part that does the bulletins, right? And then World Library Publications does everything else. You got it. We also have a, a calendar division, uh-huh. uh, Catholic calendars, a stewardship calendar, a scenic calendar for parishes that kind of give those out to their parishioners on the really? you know, around the first of the year. And then, of course, we have our vocations division as uh-huh. well. Okay, and I and I've been I've been to your headquarters there in Chicago, and I just want you to tell our listeners about your warehouse because it's it's like IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing because I think there are um, the, the warehouse consists of many many printing presses because yes. we're actually we have three uh, plants around the country. We're printing uh, I think about fifteen or sixteen hundred weekly parish bulletins here in that plant, but also that plant is the warehouse for all of World Library publications, CDs, <clears throat> musical octavos, music books, art books, all of our books. That's where our inventory is. So it's just a kind of a massive place back there. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's a very exciting, lots of energy there. Yeah. So you said your mission is, is to, uh, to assist or the, the praying, singing, and initiating church. church. Beautiful. Um, I love that. Um, uh, you, Mr. Jerry Gallopo, you, yes. you, you, how did, you, how does one end up being a, a liturgist? Since <laughs> I was a kid, I just was, I've been really? fascinated with, uh, with what goes on in church, basically. I started as a church musician when I was in fifth grade. I've uh-huh. studied piano and organ my whole life. And, uh-huh. You know, as a little nine-year-old kid, I'd leave the house on Holy Thursday night and go to church by <laughs> myself. And yeah was just kind of fascinated with the bells and the smells and the flowers and the processions. and right. it, Yeah, kind of a weird little kid, I think, but um, there was just something about it that just got me. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I, I actually studied for the priesthood in Boston, Massachusetts for quite a while, I was yeah. never ordained, but yeah. I made sure that a lot of the electives that I took were in liturgy and uh, just kind of have, have um, really loved the celebration, the preparation for and reflection on the liturgy my whole life. Mm-hmm. And when did you start composing? I started composing uh, probably about 20 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, m- most of what I do in composition is when someone asks for something right. specific, for a funeral or for something, uh-huh. I do that. I don't consider myself a great composer. It's just <laughs> kind of an as-need basis. Right, B- but you are specifically a liturgical composer. Yes. So you're not writing songs for, for, like, the beach? No. Maybe you should try that. No. Yeah, why not? <laughs> if I could bring any warmth here, that would be great. Exactly. Yes, Chicago. Yes. So on a need basis, so I'm, I'm going to request a song for my summer barbecue. Um, how, how did you... Cause, uh, so RCIA initiation, uh, I w- can I say that that's also an area of expertise for you? Yes, that would, that would be the largest area of expertise. When I... Left the seminary, I, I, I moved to Florida and was director of liturgy and music at a couple of large parishes there that had wonderful RCIA programs, very large, you know, in, initiating lots of people, mm-hmm. got on the, the RCIA teams in those parishes and then got connected with the North American Forum on the Catechumenate, uh-huh. whose mission it was was to implement the RCIA in the United States and Canada and began traveling, giving workshops throughout the U.S. and Canada uh, on the RCIA, training people who were implementing uh, the catechumenate in their parishes. And that it just has become and continues to remain a huge passion for me. And when I came to World Library, I um, 
started a series called the Fountain of Life series, which mm-hmm. is a series of books and resources for RCIA teams. Uh, and it, some of it has been translated into Spanish. So we're really, again, trying to serve the needs of the initiating church. That's where that segment comes in. So you... So, sorry, and just to go back to, to the training, because you still do the workshops, you still go around. Yes, yes. You're training people in parishes who are the catechists for the catechists, RCIA. The people who are doing breaking open of the word, if there are dismissals yeah. of catechumens yes. in the parish. Just kind of an overall uh, approach. And I think my own um, passion, especially with some of the writing I've done, is to try to help people see the RCIA kind of envision in the same vision as the Second Vatican Council did, which uh-huh. called the RCIA not a mere exposition of dogmatic truths and norms of morality, but an apprenticeship, a training in the whole Christian life. See, I, and I'm a musician, so I think, and a, and a deacon, so I, I understand the, the love and passion for the liturgy. I don't understand the passion for RCIA. Why, why do you think you have a passion for that? Where does that come from? I think where it comes from is, um, and, I, and I think it's, it's, it's deeply personal, yeah. as a Roman Catholic, when I see uh, people who are coming to faith for the first time, who are seeking something that they can't find uh, out there in the society, which right. pushes me, me, me all the time, when I see faith awakened in another human being and actually see the Lord be born in their hearts, it's something that is a constant reminder to me that my own conversion and my own uh, relationship with the Lord needs to be strengthened and renewed all the time. Do you see uh, Pope Francis's, I guess, renewal of the call to make disciples, missionary disciples, uh, directly related to the work that we do as catechists initiating people to baptism? Absolutely. And I've been asking that question in my travels in the past year. Uh-huh. You know, the, the so-called Francis effect, has that had anything to do with uh, your own initiation ministry? I was in Louisiana a couple mm-hmm. of months ago, and they said of the 17 people who have begun inquiring about the faith in their parish, three of them were there because of Pope Francis. Interesting, interesting. Yep. And, uh, not, you know, not only that, I think it... The, the, the Pope has just been a tremendous, um, with the call to evangelization and call to make disciples, I think it's really given a nice boost to people who may have been in initiation for a long time mm-hmm. and maybe losing some of that fervor. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, kind of like a refocus. Yep. Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look up <laughs> look up all your resources, and, and for my my own parish. Um, this is great, Jerry. I, it's all the time we have, but it's been it's been really good meeting you, working with you, and and having you on the program today. Um, I'm here, Deacon Pedro. This has been a real honor for me. Thank you for what you do. Okay. Jerry Gallopo is vice president and chief publishing officer for the J.S. Pollock Company and its music and liturgy division, World Library Publications. Jerry is a popular parish mission presenter and retreat leader, author, and composer. His latest book, Apprenticed to Christ, Activities for Practicing the Catholic Way of Life, and most of his books, including the series he mentioned, Fountain of Life, are published by World Library Publications. You can learn more at wlpmusic.com. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Luke Spihar, with an explanation from his new album, All is Gift.
so comfortably And I want this to go on Cause I'm feeling strong This you and me But I hear this voice from high And I don't know why But I have to see I'm not saying I don't Everything inside of me wants to But I know that I'm not free to love Till I answer this call Bihar with an explanation from his first album, Be Still. Now, I first heard about Luke Spihar because he was opening for Ben Harper in a concert in Toronto. And next thing I know, a friend is telling me that Luke had been in the seminary and that he had discerned the priesthood. Now, during that time, 
he wrote songs for his second album, No Other Way. And since then, he's been dedicated to writing music and performing and has performed all across the United States and, of course, in Canada as well. His latest album, All Is Gift, is co-produced by Ben Harper and Sheldon Gomberg. And I'm very happy to welcome Luke Spihart to our show. Luke, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Uh, Deacon Pedro, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you. So, um, I want to talk about the seminary in a second, but before that, so what was it like growing up in the Spihar household? Uh, well, <laughs> it was busy. We had, I have two brothers and two sisters, and uh, we, I grew up north of the cities here in Minnesota, uh, the Twin Cities, uh, St. Yeah. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, and uh, up in the woods, kind of, so I spent most of my, uh, my childhood running around building forts and Exploring the woods, so it nice. was. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun childhood. So, Catholic family. Yep, yep. Born and raised Catholic. My uh, my parents uh, were actually both Catholic when they were married, and uh, and, and we, that's just been an ingrained part of our our life. So, yep, I was born and raised Catholic, and uh, and were you for that in the beginning? Were you doing music uh, as a child, or because I know you didn't start, you weren't writing songs until you were a teenager, correct? Yeah, I had I started with music uh, really young in my life. Actually, I think when I was about probably six or so, I yeah. was playing the violin. Oh yeah, and then uh, seven when I when I turned seven, I switched over to the guitar, uh-huh. um, and I actually had written. You know, I, I mentioned this, but I, I wrote my first song when I was in seventh grade. I wanted to write my first song in seventh grade. Nice. Uh, but, I, but, but that's not a very good song, so no one will ever hear that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first first try. But your first album, Be Still, was, was most of those songs were written while you were a teenager. Correct, yeah. I was uh, a senior in high school when I got those, uh, when I just felt those come onto my heart. I was... Uh, Kind of actually the summer of my, between my junior year and my senior year is when I started to write it. Yeah. And then I finished the, the all seven songs by the time I was, before I graduated actually, so and, before and, I graduated high school. And did you record it at the time as well, or did that come later? That came later. So I, I, I had been praying a lot about, you know, when I was supposed to record or if I was ever supposed to record. And really, um, it was on my heart a a lot during college, but I didn't really have a, an opportunity where I felt the Lord really blessed it until my senior year in college. So um, I'd actually written a number of songs before I actually recorded my first album, but mm-hmm. uh, that was just kind of the timeline. Okay, so wait, so you were, were you always involved in the church? Or it sounds like you were, as a teenager, praying about stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, for for me, my my journey was something like, um, you know, born and raised Catholic. Uh, I think I have a similar story to uh, many Catholics, where the faith wasn't as personal uh, to me mm-hmm. until it was kind of a turning point for me, and that really came my junior year, really, right when I started writing my own music and kind of putting my prayers to music, mm-hmm. and then them becoming songs. That's really when I kind of took Christ into my heart personally. Right. Um, and then, so that was really kind of a turning point, and that's kind of when I decided maybe I'll, I'll just really let the Lord kind of have His way in my life, uh, and then you know eventually led me into, you know, 
the possibility. He led me into a college seminary to, to really pursue him possibly as a priest. So Okay, let me ask you about that. The, was, uh, so you, you sure. thought you might be called to the priesthood. For people who don't know the difference, what, what is a college seminary? Is that um, a regular seminary? Well, right, so a college seminary uh, is just like, so basically it, it spreads, it gives you some seminary time during college. It kind of spreads out the philosophy that you would take okay. either in a major seminary well, in a major seminary in college. So I, I guess if you have a, I, the kind of short uh, version of it is if you if you have a degree in something and, um, you, and you go into major seminary, you have to study two years of pre-theology, and that's basically philosophy. So what yes. they do is they take those two years, spread it over four during your college, and, and you get to discern while you're in a college setting. Uh, I see. And just give your life over that way. So you discerned for four years while you were in college, and you discerned that the priesthood was not for you, right? And but yeah. but music, I guess music would have been part of that discernment. It was, you know, it, it was a part. I, uh, uh, you know, I always say, um, I'm always so positive when people ask me, you know, what what happened? You know, you just turned out, you know, you were in, and then all of a sudden you came out, you know, I thought you were going to be a priest. And, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was kind of a powerful rejoicing when people were like, well, you found what the Lord wants you to do, whether it be, uh, you know, coming in and out, you know, either pursuing the priesthood in the major seminary or, or leaving to go pursue him in a different way. So yeah, I had, um, <clears throat> during that time, I was really involved with a uh, kind of a Catholic outreach mass that we were putting on as a seminary for for the University of St. Thomas. And mm-hmm. we had, uh, it started with about 12 people, and then by the time we left, by my senior year, there was over 400 people coming to this mass. Wow. And uh, so it just really grew, and I was, I was playing kind of some quieter meditational music for the mass. It was just kind of a solo guitar and, and uh, you know, just kind of what, whatever meditation kind of came to my heart. And that's really where I started to realize that the Lord might have something more for mm-hmm. me in music. Um, and then I actually recorded my album my senior year and released it and kind of told the campus that I was going to do a release concert. And, uh, you know, so over the, you know, at least those 400 came to that concert. Right. Um, and so I just really realized, man, I think the Lord has something to do. Nice. He wants me to do something with this music. So nice. that was that was really what kind of... Uh, solidified it for me. I said, Lord, what, what's your will? And I just felt him bless a, a music ministry and to really pursue that. So gave right. me the freedom to go. Right. So you've been doing concerts. Since then, you've been in concerts. You've, you've, you've been doing retreats. Um, uh, tell us about the military retreats. What's what's the connection with the military for you? So my uh, my my older brother, Nick, was uh, was in the Naval Special Forces. He was killed in action in, uh, in Afghanistan in 2011. Mm. Wow. And since then, my uh, his community really reached out to me heavy to just come and be a part of their their pre and post deployment retreat and just to kind of be uh, involved in the community. And right. So it's uh, it's really been pretty. It's been an incredible honor to be just kind of connected to our military and uh, and uh, just really kind of give back for for everything they do. Yeah, what a great opportunity and a blessing. Most people don't think that there would be, you know, retreats for military, you know, before they get deployed or when they come back. That's that's really good to know. Um, you're right, what an honor yeah, to be part the, of that. Right. 
No, right. The retreats there too are are a little different than my the Catholic group kind of think, but it's just kind of a, it is in, the, in that sense just a, a moment to get away with their families and yeah. and learn more about different skills and different things that they can kind of make yeah. their families healthy. So it's really kind of a powerful thing that uh, we're great. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, what a great apostolate. Um, so you have a new album, All Is Gift. It was it was co-produced by Ben Harper. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know who Ben Harper is. What's different for you about All Is Gift? Uh, with a, the, just the production level is, is higher than any, anything I've done before. Yeah. Um, and then just being able to work with Ben and kind of hone in the songs and kind of edit them down to where they're, uh, you know, for me, you know, some of my best work. And... Uh, to uh, you know, it's it's a little bigger sounding. You know, I have I, I my first two albums are solo acoustic, and then here this one has some cello on it, some yes. upright bass, some piano. So it's yes. a little bit fuller sound. It's, I don't think it ever gets too big, but it's a little bit fuller than I think my. Yeah, it's nice. Used to, but, it, 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 yeah. it is nice, and that's the first thing I noticed. It's like, oh, there's a nice cello and piano because it's not so raw. But but I guess everybody's got got their taste. Um, uh, I guess I was going to say pe- for people in Milwaukee, you're going to be playing a concert on October 25th. That's important to mention. If anybody's in Milwaukee and, and you like the music, go go see Luke. Um, anything else that's new, Luke, coming for you? Uh, no, just a slow. I'll actually be. Uh, my hope is to just get on the road and, and just tour the whole country with this album. And um, this fall is kind of. Uh, kind of getting ready, and, and I'm really going to hit the road heavy here uh, after the new year. So it kind of gives me some time to kind of plan out. And so I'm uh, I'm just excited. I'll just be going, making a big loop all the way around from down south. It looks like, and then turning going east um, for me up towards like uh, New York, and then back around through Idaho and or excuse me, Ohio and different. Uh, just kind of come and making big loops around the country just to, just to share the gift that this music has been to me and get the album out. Okay, so. good. And all that information would be on your website, lukespihar.com, in case people want to find out if you're coming to their town. Certainly let us know if you're coming to Canada. But uh, a lot of people in the United States listen to this program, so uh, keep us posted on where you are, and we'll share it with everybody, okay? Yeah, that sounds fantastic, yeah. All right, Luke, thank you very much for, for taking a little bit of time to, to tell us about yourself and for sharing your, your music and your ministry with us today. Oh, it's been a gift. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Luke Spihar and purchase his music or find out how to bring him to your parish or whether he's coming to your community by going to his website, lukespihar.com. That's Spihar, S-P-E-H-A-R.com. But I'm going to put that link on our site and also on my Twitter feed so you can find it easily. Here now is Luke Spihar with the title track of his new album, All Is Gift.
father too. That's how I was made. Creator's breath blew into this dust. Withdraw your love, Lord. I would go away. We're listening to Luke Spihar with "All Is Gift" from his album of the same name, and that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. If you have any questions, send them to me via Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro.